What's up, everyone? This is Skylar Butts, and today on the podcast, I have Al Reeser. Al's a good friend of mine, and he is the director of player development and biomechanics at Sports Rehab LA. A big part of my own tennis career has been learning how to properly take care of my body, and Al has made a career out of helping athletes perform at their highest level while also staying healthy. This is a very wide-ranging conversation about coaching, the body, and mental health that I personally learned a lot from, and I hope you do too. Al Reeser, what's up? What up, Sky? How you doing? It's been so long. We live so close to each other, and we've talked, what, two two times in the past month after two years of not talking? Almost the record setting. There was a dark hole that was called grad school, and now uh, slowly coming out of it. So thankfully, re- regaining some of my life. Not all of it, but some. <laughs> so grad school, yeah. I think this is a good place to kind of let everyone know who you are and what you do, Al. Oh, I guess I'm Al Reeser. No. <laughs> um, so I am the uh, Director of Sports Performance and Biomechanics at Sports Rehab LA. Uh, we have a couple offices throughout the LA area, but our main location that I work at is in Encino, California. And my primary job responsibilities there are overseeing the rehab and performance training for our elite athletes there. My current clientele includes uh, Cam Newton, Todd Gurley, yeah. uh, Dwayne Brown. Uh, some of the elite amateurs I've been able to work with, uh, Terrence Clark, Devin Askew, Darius Garland, uh, Darius Basley, Alan Horton Tucker. I feel like there's a lot of other people. Um, but I've been very fortunate to be in that position where I get to work with these athletes. Prior to coming to Sports Rehab LA, I went to Claremont McKenna with you, Scott. Graduated in 2016. Uh, went straight to grad school, uh, attended USC. And for those of you that are on the East Coast, perhaps, that think I'm talking about South Carolina. I'm talking about the only USC, University of Southern California, fight on. Um, I got my master's there in biokinesiology. And then briefly started a PhD in exercise physiology at Texas A&M, but dropped out after one semester to come back to sports rehab. So I've been there almost a year and a half now in my current role. Awesome. It's funny because like just knowing you and it feels like every decision you make comes down to like the last second and then you do this giant pivot. Yeah, I always tell people I'm really good at making small decisions and bad at making big ones, which I feel like is probably a lot of people. But you ask me what I want to eat, and now I can tell you. But you ask me what I'm going to do in a year from now, I'd be like, eh, I don't know. But I feel like that's a lot of people our age. You just kind of got to go with what life brings you. At least you can make those small decisions. I can't make any decisions to save my life. That's part of the reason I'm having so much trouble. Well, sometimes you just don't even think about it. You just say go. Okay. So before we kind of get into your background, which is super interesting and kind of off of that giant pivot thing that we were just talking about, if I come to you right now and I drop everything, can I be in the NFL in two years? I mean, I can get you up to a certain level of athleticism. I could try, but uh, you may need to get some of the skills coach and have you watch tape for a little bit. But, uh, you know, if you want to do it, shoot, might as well give it a run. All right. That wasn't the answer I wanted. All I know is if I tried, I'd get my living daylights kicked out of me. So, Yeah, there's some big dudes out there. You probably got a better shot than I do. I don't think so. You're taller than me. Uh, I guess so. You're probably faster, though. 
Debatable. Debatable. All right. Al. Yes, Scott. Senior year. Oh, Lord. Yeah, senior year of college. We, we were roommates, by the way. What was going through your mind? Law school was on the horizon, and you make this giant pivot. Well, really, I was just trying to figure out how to beat you in 2K. But, um, yeah, my, uh, I guess senior year was kind of a big changing year for me. I guess it actually kind of started junior year. I was interested in going to law school. I was going to Claremont McKenna with you. And obviously, uh, so many kids at Claremont are going sort of finance, consulting, law, sort of government focus. Hell, I was even a government major. But after spending some time in that world, uh, I actually went up to Seattle over the summer, getting ready to do sort of internship, look at grassroots politics and how I can get active in government. And I thought it was very interesting, really meaningful work, but knew it really wasn't for me. So seniors kind of when everything really switched and I went from doing this whole law thing, uh, government policy, et cetera, to shifting my focus towards sports performance and training and I guess now five, six years down the road, it's kind of turned into my life, which I would have never really expected, but it's fun. So you're happy? Best decision you ever made? Most days. I mean, heck, it, it's the only decision I made. So I don't know what, it would, what life would have looked like as a lawyer. But um, I mean, you say my day in and day out is going into work, getting able to help people that usually are injured, return back to a point that they are able to actually go and compete in sport again is incredibly meaningful for me. I mean, having been an athlete, not really had a chance to see that out the way I wanted to have my, my career kind of in short. I definitely got a personal connection to it, but also I put a lot of time and effort into really trying to understand the body, how to, and on top of that, how to understand people and motivate people. So, I mean, you have like the really concrete skill of knowing anatomy, knowing how to train people, knowing how to make them better at being a better athlete. And then there's the more human side, which is just connecting someone motivating them trying to figure them out and then if you can do both of those ultimate at the end of the day you're really trying to elicit change in someone so you can understand them on a huge level and have the skills to help them actually make that change possible um that's really rewarding for me yeah you've given that a lot of thought i'm curious if that's how you like is this anything like this philosophy about like connecting and eliciting change was that anything that you imagined coming out of your mind when you were like oh i just want to teach people how to lift heavy no not at all so i mean i really first started training my junior when i was i was working at la fitness in arcadia so i was driving from claremont all the way over to arcadia getting up at like 5 a.m having 6 a.m clients training in the morning going back to claremont having class doing homework going to orchestra rehearsal rinse and repeat but la fitness was just kind of a uh i guess a ability to say that I had had gone and done something and trained at least a human being <laughs> once in my life. And then um, I actually got into Exos, what I've learned later on to be on accident. So like I said earlier, I was a government major at Claremont. The interns that Exos was taking at the time, and I don't know if this has changed since, but you needed to be a science major or to have some sort of study going in the field to be able to gain access to their internship. So when I found that out, I decided to take a summer class at USC in human performance. It was a good experience. Class was fun. Uh, but really, that was just a way so I could get into the door at Exos. And what I heard was actually when I applied on my resume, and it said, it says, Claremont McKenna, government major, etc. I had put in there other coursework, and I had said human performance. And I'm guessing that they probably have some sort of automated resume reader that just picks up keywords and somehow I made it through that 
thing and managed to get to the first interview. And in the first interview, they, I told them that I wasn't a human performance manager. I was, I just taking coursework in it. And they sort of led me to believe that the internship wasn't really a possibility for me, but you never really know. And then I remember getting an email maybe two weeks before I heard back from USC that said I was accepted to the internship program, which I was just ecstatic about. And then ended up getting to, into USC like I, shortly after. So in a matter of two weeks, my life kind of went from just training someone didn't really know if this was going to be a career to having a pretty concrete path going to Exos and then having a concrete path after that for grad school as an option. So to answer your question, it wasn't really ever a thing like, oh, I'm going to go and help people. It was just like I was really tired of government. And I thought that I would happen to be good at training because my background, having been an athlete, etc. But it was really throughout the journey of like going to going to Exos, getting able to train a lot of people, uh, some that were healthy, some that were injured, etc. Where I could really sort of find my niche, like, hey, how can I enter this field and I guess kind of stand out. And one thing I realized at Exos, Exos is a great opportunity to learn really concrete methodology of how to train, how to elicit. Uh, gains and performance for athletes. But a lot of the people that I would deal with later on in life they were never perfectly healthy. They're always hurt. So my focus as far as trying to change from just performance based to sort of rehab and optimizing performance after injury really came after I worked uh, for two or three years with uh, this doctor named Dr. Andy Barr. Um, I met uh, Andy when I was just going to SC. He had worked over almost 20 years in sports, kind of an interesting background. He himself was um, the head physio for a variety of teams in England, in the English Premier League, uh, including Manchester City, which is my favorite soccer team. So I thought that was kind of cool. And then head was the head of performance for the Knicks, uh, I want to say, for a handful of years. Uh, so to be able to learn from someone that had experience in high-level international soccer and then high-level basketball was really eye-opening for me. And it was the combination of being under his guidance and also going to USC, number one nation right now, in the, excuse me, number one program in the nation right now for physical therapy and biokinesiology. I was put around all these different minds that were just really looking at the human body a different way than I had ever looked at it. And I combined sort of their outlook as far as physical therapy, injury prevention, injury risk reduction, whatever you want to call it, and performance. And I realized that like, yo, trained coaches have way more time with athletes than doctors ever do. So if anyone needs to know their stuff, it's got to be me because I'm the one that usually will help them either stay healthy and make sure they don't get hurt or uh, reduce their or essentially not really help them build anything. So I need to make sure the athletes can get on the field and stay healthy. So that's when that sort of overall idea of like, yo, I want to help you. I want to keep you healthy. You really started to emerge was later on in my career after being and working with PTs. And I think that's that's a big shift in how people are looking at training. Like you can you can pound the the field and the iron all day, but at the end of the day, if you're hurt, then you can't you can't continue. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough um, because what you're describing, sort of that shift as far as like yo, we train to get really really strong, good at our sport versus we train to optimize our movement and to enhance performance and to reduce risk of injury is really what I would argue coming out of soccer right now or these sports that are more international, they look at more, they look at training and PT as preventative rather than something you do only once you're hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, where like the NFL, there's still a large, I would say mentality of like, Oh, I'm only going to do PT once I'm hurt. I'm only get on the table once I'm hurt. 
you know, you're kind of questioning my ability as an athlete or just my own health in general, if I'm always doing PT or whatever, like, and I think a lot of that just has to do with the sport and how uh, the NFL has not really been as progressive. I thought, I guess, in their thought as far as like training, there's still a lot of old heads, if you will, old strength coaches that are bench squat clean all day where there's a lot more we, we can do now. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just, I get a lot more buy-in from soccer and basketball athletes and I'm getting a lot of buy-in from NFL guys. But I think uh, if we can get buy-in early on in their career at the 16, 17, 18-year-old mark or even when they get to college, hopefully we'll reduce some risk of injury there when they get finally in the career. Yeah. So you have quite a few like elite amateurs and like what happens when these, these guys and these, especially the NFL guys, when they come into Sports Rehab LA, what do you tell them? Like, we're, we're, we want you to be big and strong, but we want you to be healthy first, right? Yeah, I mean, the way I'd sort of describe it is like, be really concrete about your goals. So I don't care really what you do in life. Most of the time, people have a job, and the job is so that they can make money. And the money provides them opportunities to do whatever they want in life. They can go buy a house, they can go on vacation, they can do whatever. But we need money, and we need to work so that we can do the things that we want to do in life. So I talk to them as more of like, listen, this is something that you have to do to ensure that you can continue to do your job for an extended period of time, especially in basketball, soccer, football, wherever you want to talk any sport. You get paid when you have a contract. The only way you get a contract is by actually going out there and showing scouts or coaches or people throughout the league what you can do, how much you're worth to them. And you are, at the end of the day, not really worth much if you can't go and do your job, which is being healthy, being available, being on the court. So if we talk about getting one contract, okay, cool. Great. You got one contract. You can be super smart with your money. You may not even need another contract to really like set yourself up for success, set your family up for success, set your family's family up for success. But not everyone is like that. And sometimes people need two contracts or three contracts. And the only way that you can really... I don't want to say assure, but put yourself in the best position to actually make money later on down in life in your late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s, late 30s is by being proactive and taking care of your body. And then once that sets in, we see a tremendous change where people really start to come in. They value the time there and they understand that it's so much better to be getting treated and be training when you're not hurt versus having to do it when you are hurt. And when they recognize that Putting time into your body is directly correlated with having longevity in your career and performing well in your career. And at the end of the day, making money is an easy buy-in. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's kind of how I how I try to approach it. I mean, that's a cool approach. But as you were talking, I was thinking about how like young athletes, and I, I've talked about this before, about how, like you know me, I never stretched in college, but I didn't need to. I I was super inflexible, but I was like, I managed to stay somewhat healthy. Like, I think I could have been better, Yeah. but it's hard to, it's hard to instill like that mentality, those, ha- those good habits in young athletes when they don't see the benefits right away. It's more down the line. So what do you, what do you say to the young athletes? I mean, it's twofold, I guess. And they look at me right now and be like, man, I'm already getting paid. I've got young, or excuse me, I'm already getting paid. I've got a youthful body. Um, I'll at least get the two contracts. Sure. You may be completely right. You may never need me. I hope you never need me. Cool. Not everyone is like that. And if I were you, I wouldn't necessarily take that gamble on betting that you are perhaps the outlier to not getting injured throughout your whole career versus being, I guess, what some would say is just normal. You're going to have 
nicks and dings as you go throughout your playing career. But I guess to answer your question, the buy-in as far as youth athletes really comes when we talk about the ability to enhance performance. Because uh, like I said, a lot of guys really aren't hurt. But when we talk about injury prevention and we talk about sports performance training, a lot of times we like to look at them in two different worlds, all preventative and all enhancing performance. But really, there's a lot of inter- interplay between the two. So I can have a guy that'll be like, okay, yeah, I'll give you one week. And I can do things in that one week will kind of open their eyes, be like, listen, man, this isn't all just trying to reduce the risk of injury. We can also make you a better athlete while reducing the risk of injury. So if, if you don't want to have that advantage to your game, that's fine. That's your choice. But the earlier you start doing this and training, quote unquote, correctly, in some way argue that there is no, quote unquote, correct way to train. But there are certain ways that are perhaps more optimally trained that give yourself a better opportunity to succeed when you're on the court field or whatever. That's really where we see the buy-in. Mm-hmm. Like if I can make a guy's vertical go just increase even two inches in a matter of two or three weeks through simple sort of isometric training and reactivity training, they're like, dang, that was really cool. How'd you do that? It's like, well, I didn't do it. You did it. But I know the progressions and the methodology behind, I guess, training and how the body sort of absorbs force and redistributes its redistributes force and jumping and what you need to train in your body to make sure you can do that at a really high level. And not everyone does know that, I guess. So the more that we can, it's really just about getting them in. Once you get in, then it's like, all right, two things. Do you have the skill to be able to make change in the athlete? And even if you have the skill to make change in the athlete, does the athlete actually want to hang around you? <laughs> because if you're just, if, if you're not a fun person to be around, I don't know any person in the world that wants to do business with someone they don't like. So I feel like a lot of my clients right now would even say like, yeah, like I know, I know the benefits of doing the training, but like I come to Sports Reabolé for sort of the family environment. I come to SRLA for the good vibe because once you build personal relationships with people, it's the same thing as working out in college. Like we didn't work out together. Anyone I've ever like worked out with didn't work out with me because they thought they were going to get something from me. I would hope that they like, they just want to work out because they like working out and I like working out. So like, Let's work out together. I happen to know a thing or two. Try this. See if you like this. When it comes, becomes more of like a thing we're doing together rather than me just coaching you, we can grow together too. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of the young guys, they like that. Yeah. And again, just hearing you talk about like what you do, it's so technical. And how do you, how do you manage to break that down in a, in a way to the athletes where they can not, not buy in, but like understand and a little minutia because or or do you just not bother? You're just like, this is going to help you jump higher. Twofold, I guess. There, it really depends on the person. Some people want to sit down and they want to talk about, they want to talk about different types of muscle action. What's an eccentric contraction? What's isometric? What's concentric? How does strengthening my tendons and ligaments help me better absorb force when I'm jumping? If they want this pure science biomechanics behind what we're trying to do. And I'll sit down and I'll talk to them about it. And if it's a complex principle, I'll try to break it down to something that they can understand. Like one example is we talk about the ability to absorb force and redistribute it, like jumping through a landing process, you're absorbing force, and then you're redistributing that and actually the action of jumping. I talk about cars, okay? So you maybe have Ferrari gas, but if you got Kia brakes, that car is going to break down, right? You got to have the defense or the brakes that match up with your ability to perform or your offense, your gas. And so simple things like that, like, okay, I kind of understand these principles and sort of uh, this sort of context when you put in something like that. But really, they, I feel like a lot of people 
at least from a performance standpoint, really kind of buy into how the body works when they actually see it happen in play. In other words, me sitting down and talking about them or talking about biomechanics to them for an hour, hour and a half is not going to do benefit to them. I'll talk about it for 15 minutes from them. Say, listen, just trust this process. Here's the spark notes you need to sort of understand why we're doing this. And then two weeks down the road, I'm going to put you in a position to succeed. In other words, to show you that what you previously did has now been enhanced because we went through this protocol. And we can do that two ways. We can do that one, just like, oh, man, I feel really great. Something really subjective. You know, I feel like I'm jumping higher. I feel like I'm more explosive. Anytime I hear that feedback, great. Then I usually try to get some sort of objective measure to have them actually see like this. And you feel a certain way. The numbers back that up. Okay. So just keep doing what you're doing. I guess what I'm trying to say is like, you got to be able to figure out what is going to get someone to buy in. And objective numbers really help promote growth in any athlete when they can see like, okay, I feel a certain way. I'm going to test you. I'm going to do biomechanics testing when you come in. I'm going to do biomechanics performance testing you six weeks, eight weeks down the road. And you see actually what these numbers that you previously just did, how they've improved. Man, like there's no, there's no better way. And uh, the really technical biomechanics testing, I feel like, is a really great way to do it other than just like more standard performance tests like, oh, what's your max bench? What's your max squat? Because those things are very variable. I mean, I can walk in the gym one day, feel super duper and squat 405 and walk in the gym three days later and be tired, lethargic and squat 365. So like those things all vary. But if I can get a guy or a girl and be in the same position to fully recovered, feeling good, and do biomechanics testing and come back six, eight weeks down the road, feeling good, feeling recovered, and test the same way and see the difference. That's really where buy-in for the young athlete sort of, or for the youth athletes sort of, is beneficial. Because they're not getting paid. They're just, they want to see how they're performing better. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the variability. And that's something like I've, I've felt myself just being tired. And it's not that I don't understand what I have to do as an athlete, like eating wise and sleep wise, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. And there's only so much that you as a trainer and rehab specialist, whatever you want to call yourself, sensei, sensei. can do. Yeah. There's only so much you can do. And do you feel lucky because you attract a certain client, like a, a top level athlete that understands what they have to do when you're not there? You would think that. I feel like usually it's a lot of times the elite level athlete is the one that's not doing the stuff that they need to be doing outside because for a lot of them, they already have a financial cushion where the sense of urgency perhaps is there for someone that's young and grinding to make it. But for an injured athlete that really wants to go back, even if they have a little uh, money set aside where they can move comfortably, that's usually when I see like a lot of, uh, I guess I feel grateful that put in these positions to help them because they'll there's an easier time getting buy-in when they do need me for something in other words like where i can have a certain skill and certain expertise and they need me to help fix their knee and get them back to performance and i can help fix their knee and get them back to performing well and usually most of the time in sports rehab that's who's going to come in now whether they're a pro or amateur i guess just by happenstance where i'm at a lot of the people that i'm fortunate to work with are professional athletes I've got a handful of amateur athletes and also a handful of just general population clients that come to work with me simply because for the same reasons, they want to take care of their body. They want to improve their performance. Maybe they want to look good or maybe they want to get a scholarship. So buy-in is there too. It's just, it 
when they're in a different stage of life, the buy-in comes for different reasons, I guess. Some guys are kind of trying to get a third contract. Some guys are just trying to fit into a pair of jeans. Other people are trying to get a scholarship. But overall, being able, being in a position where people are coming to me for a specific reason and having the skill and the ability to help them effectively makes me feel like very, very fortunate. And of course, like there are a lot of, lot of trainers in this game, especially in Los Angeles. And, um, I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to work with people I work with, I guess, just given a, their platform and B that they, they stay. And uh, I like to view it as more relationships. I mean, people come to sports rehab LA because of the name sports rehab LA, but they will leave just as quickly because they get a poor experience. And at the end of the day, really harp that like, listen, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, it helps to have a brand and the brand behind me is, uh, well-known, it's reputable, etc., which helps me get people in. But I want them to stay because what we can offer them. And that only happens if I continue to do my job and make Sports Rehab LA better and up to date with as far as all the research is coming out, how we can really take care of athletes better than anyone else in LA specifically, but nationwide. I mean, we'll have guys flying internationally. We have guys flying across the country weekly to come work with us, especially in the off season. So very, very fortunate to be in that situation. That's awesome. And it just got me thinking like, how, how are you able to connect with the athletes on a human level so successfully? Well, I hope that people would agree with you and say it successfully. I guess it's two things. I, I try to be very straight up with them with who I am and why I do what I do. And I think when you're genuine with anyone, just who you are as a person it allows them to take down any guard they may have. So they know that I'm not trying to use them, uh, especially with a lot of pro athletes. These guys have been great. These guys and girls have been great since 16, 17, 18 years old. They can work with anyone in the world. And because of that, they will be treated differently. When they go outside, people know who they are. They will be stopped, etc. And I really try to, I don't want to say pride myself on, but like the same way that if I was in their shoes, I wouldn't want people just sort of gawking at me as I walk down the street. I'm not looking for that attention. I don't think a lot of them are either. So I'm going to treat them the same way I would treat anyone else that came in the clinic. So A, just being genuine, but B, also just being honest with my story. I feel like a lot of times people will train with someone because who they are, what they've done. I've never had that necessarily in my favor. I didn't play professional sports. I didn't even play collegiate sports. The only thing I did in college is I played club volleyball at the Division One level. Okay, great. Congrats. Oh, and I played spike ball. And 2K. And, and 2K, a lot of 2K. But I mean, I tell them straight up. They say, hey, do you play college sports? I said, no, I, I wasn't fortunate to do that. You know, I was getting interest at a younger age, but a variety of injuries, uh, head injuries specifically, like forced me to stop playing soccer earlier than I would have liked. And I didn't get the opportunity that I would have wanted. Would I have gone and played in the English Premier League? Probably not. Maybe not even MLS. I had no idea. Um, but just, I don't care who you are. Anytime you want to do something and it's taken away from you before you can walk away from it, sort of peacefully you have some sort of built up just a little chip on your shoulder so i want to help people go break through any barriers they may have and i'm also just specifically interested in movement and helping people specifically with movement just because my family history my dad has parkinson's disease uh, has had it for almost shoot 30 years now maybe a little bit less but like i haven't known a dad that hasn't had parkinson's and parkinson's is something that's progressive it's something you can't control it's something you just have to roll with and adapt. And in a lot of ways, my job is like that too. I will see a guy come in moving perfectly well one day and come in two days later and be like, this 
was aggravated now. I need to get more achievement on this and kind of switch my plan to this. Okay, cool. So it's, uh, I learned really early, very early age, just with my dad, like I could tell when he was good and when he wasn't good. I learned how to communicate with him as far as what he needed from me. If he needed a chair so he could sit down or if he needed me to just hold him so he wouldn't get dizzy or anything. And then how to adapt. And if I can just be straight up with them, like, listen, this is why I do it, my own personal reasons. I've got family connection too, people that have movement issues and how I can help them. But I've also been lucky enough to go to have the, uh, amazing education, I guess, formal education at USC. And also the people I've learned under. So I'm young, like 26. A lot of these guys are, will be younger than me, which is weird. And usually they'll be like trying to look for people that are a little bit older than them. But I think and sometimes, I would argue that being sort of a similar age and having being able to have at the end of the day really just like a friendship, like a really kind of respectful business relationship allows me to be more successful because we can break through a lot of like a lot of the bullshit as far as like, ah, I don't want to tell him this, tell him that. It's like, listen, man, you tell me everything going on with you and I will help you. Just don't hide stuff because I care about you. I want you to be successful and I'm here to help you. And when people see that they're, you're there to help them, they really, I like they open up yeah that's really just a great approach to it everything you do just being authentic and people will respect you for it and want to give their all for you and i think also what you said about like connecting with your purpose and like having your sport taken away from you i can you can really sense that with you and like how you really don't want people to to almost go through what you had had to 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 get to where you are in a sense yeah i mean i guess i was lucky if you want to put it that way, I was lucky that ended early. But a lot of these guys, like, it's a big 28, 29, 30 years old, and they're looking at potentially a career-ending injury, and that is heavy stuff. Like, imagine going to school and getting a degree, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, oh, your brain's not going to work. You can't do what you're going to do in two years or three years. You're like, you want to talk about a midlife crisis. There's one right for you. Yeah. And... There's a lot of emotion that comes along with that and mental health awareness, just like, no, like checking in. Hey, how are you right now? Okay. Forget everything else that's happening. How are you as a human being right now? If you're not good, let's talk about it. Because one thing I always talk about guys I'm training is like movement is emotion. Like anytime you're hurt, you're down, you're not moving well, etc. compared to the times where you feel great and you're just ecstatic. I mean, I'm sure you've been on the court sky where you just absolutely demolish someone. 6-0, 6 You're just bouncing out there. You're feeling great. And there are times when you're just getting it handed to you. You're out there. You feel like you're moving slow, etc. So, like, those movement and emotion are so tied in. And a lot of times the things, there's just subconscious emotions you've got to deal with, especially when it comes to being injured. And I, I learned that from my own injuries. I learned that from watching people that I care about a lot having their own chronic injuries and illnesses. And the sooner we accept that and move past that, we can actually, A, begin to treat the physical injury and be more in tune to whatever's happening with us emotionally, physically, or sorry, emotionally, spiritually, whatever you want to say, because they go hand in hand and you can't ignore either of them. Yeah. So you just have them talk to you because for the past week, I've just had absolutely no motivation to do anything. And I feel it on the court, like brain's gone, movement's gone, just everything's gone. Yep. And at a certain point, you just can't pull yourself out of it alone, right? Yeah, I would argue. Some people like to have a mentality like, oh, I did this on my own. I can grind out of my own, blah, 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 blah. 
I would admit to being someone like that previously. And I would argue now having perhaps a different perspective that anyone that has that mentality where I need to do this on my own will never really do it to the best of ability because unless you're just an extraordinary individual, you need to have a support system to allow you to move forward because we'll never be able to do it on our own. I just really think that you look at anyone this, is, this might be a little tangential, but Portugal is an incredibly interesting case study where they're having a lot of drug issues throughout the entire nation. And instead of putting money into like police forces and cracking down on it, they put that money into like helping people that had these issues and creating community. And they saw that when communities started to like increase and people felt as if they were needed someplace, that that drug abuse started to go down. So I'm a big believer in community and setting and having people around you that just motivate you and make you want to be better will naturally create that. But that requires you to put yourself out there. That requires you to partake in group activities. That requires you to perhaps go to someone you when you feel vulnerable and say, hey, I'm not feeling the best right now. I don't know why. I'm not telling you you need to understand and help me figure this out. But I just need you to be there. I need you to help me through this. And the moment you're honest with yourself and honest with someone else, I think that gets you start to see a lot of improvement there. But there's one other thing to talk about you specifically, Sky, that I don't think a lot of athletes understand, and specifically in COVID right now, is that the body is not smart when it comes to identifying stressors and compartmentalizing them. In other words, the same stress that you put on your body when you go out there and play a match or you go train or do whatever is the same sort of physiological response to when you find out that, oh, the entire state is shut down for a month because we have global we have like a pandemic going on. Like what? Mm -hmm. Like, and people don't understand that like mental stress and physical stress at the end of the day is just stress. So when you, a lot of guys are coming to me, man, you know, I'm doing well, like I'm training everything, but stuff just really isn't going well. I'm like, Oh, what's happening at home? Oh, you know, my mom's a little sick. You know, my brother's not doing too well in school. Oh, so do you ever think that maybe you should go try and take care of that? And then this will kind of figure itself out. Nah, man, there's no way those are connected. Yeah, they are. <laughs> it's okay. Like, and I think a lot of times when once people understand that and they stop really getting on themselves about like the reason I'm not performing well is because I'm not trying hard. I've been trying as hard as I can and it's still not going. No, man. Maybe you're not performing as well because you're just not really wanting to like, maybe you're using sports or something else as a distractor to go and perhaps fix something else in your life. I mean, shoot, I know I did that. I would go to weight room in college for like three or four hours and just lift because I didn't want to go do homework. We're, we're very good at distracting ourselves. And a lot of times fixing sport, fixing whatever you want to call it, optimizing performance comes about optimizing the human being. And you can't optimize the human being if you're constantly in a state of stress or if you're constantly thinking about something else. It's just never going to happen. Or it may happen now, but in the future, there will be consequences for that unresolved issues and that I'm not qualified necessarily to speak on. But I'm a big believer in like, I don't care what the issue is in your life attack it. And if you're not ready to attack it alone, then ask for help in it. But pretending it's not there and just not giving it mind is not the best way to go about it. Okay. So I I might be reaching here, but as someone who has studied the body and trains the body, would you argue that the mind is almost more important? It's tough to say more because I, I don't want to like pigeonhole myself, but I would, I would say it's equally. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because it all encompasses the human being. 
mental health, physical health, emotional health, whatever you want to say, it all goes into performance. So, and I know there are a lot of ways that people like to train their mind, practicing mindfulness, meditating, breathing, etc. But it, admittedly, in my own practice, because we focus so heavily on the body, my focus on the mind really comes in like just talking as we're not focusing on the body. In other words, like we'll do a set and then I'll pick up a conversation with a guy about like what's happening in his life. You know, how are his kids? How are his whatever? And a lot of times lifting is almost therapy in itself where you can have the physical therapy of like literally getting to train and work out, but also just trying to have someone to talk to, someone you can confide in, someone you trust to open up to emotionally. Not everyone feels comfortable going to a therapist. Not everyone has a therapist available to them. Shoot, maybe not. Some people don't don't even have like just casual friendships, especially guys that are on the road all the time, like really, really high profile people. Like they have maybe the smallest crew, five, ten people in their life that they really let in. And um, I don't strive to like get in that crew by any means, but I strive to be another voice that they can talk to and just you know feel things up. You know, okay, so you went home for the weekend. So if we have a client that flies in Monday through Thursday to train and leaves Friday through the weekend, gets back there on Monday. You know, how was home? Oh, it was good. Sometimes it may be like, oh, man, it was great. You know, we went and did this, blah, blah, blah. But if I hear the phrase, oh, you know, it was good, I might dig at that a little more. Try to figure out, okay, like, talk to me. Open up a little bit. And then it'll just start. They will naturally unfold as quickly as they want it to. And other times they may not want to talk at all. They just may want to live. That's cool, too. Yeah. So when you think about like the, the best athletes that you've been around, and again, like everyone's different, there's different approaches, maybe they they aren't like this, but would you argue that a lot of the best athletes have figured out how to mentally be present and physically present, and they've just organized their life in such a way that everything is tailored around their career and their family and just maximizing that, like their body? The best athletes? No. The athletes that play beyond 10 years, yeah. They're a great example that comes to mind is one of my clients, Dwayne Brown, he's a left tackle, uh, Seattle Seahawks, all pro guy. And when people talk about Dwayne, I feel like in the NFL, this thing that came, what I was told about him is that he's a pro's pro. You kind of know what that means, but try to kind of feel it out. And talking to Dwayne, I was like, Dwayne, like, so when you were a young guy in the league, like, who did you take mentorship from? Who did you learn from? And he goes, well, I learned from obviously the older guys that were ahead of me. And one of the things that they told me too is you got to take care of your body now. And Dwayne is going to his 13th year. He's gone through a variety of uh, injuries. Injuries will happen, but it's a mindset of like, you have to take care of your body. You have to be strong. You have to be resilient to these things. You have to continue to come back. He's focused his whole life on being able to do that. And that's tough. It takes a lot of sacrifice. But the mm-hmm. reward is seen in his just what he's done on the field and also the fact that he's going into his 13th year having had a torn quad, having had a torn bicep, having had, uh, like redone his meniscus or having had surgery on his meniscus just this past year. The dude is incredibly locked in and not everyone is like that, but it's hard to be. So to answer your question, the best, the best athletes, perhaps not, but those that continue to have a long career, you kind of have to be. Yeah. I've seen a lot of good athletes and they get hurt and they're just like, oh, wow, like 
all those things I should have been doing, I haven't been. And that's really when the like, when you go from zero to a hundred, like completely fine, no issue at all. And then, oh, you're hurt. You got to go to go do PT. If you've never done PT, if you've never worked your body out, if you have never taken time to actually care for yourself, you know, I don't care who you are trying to redo something and have a, like grow a certain mentality and work ethic in a different way that you've never done before. I don't care what you're doing in life. That's hard. So start early. That's the best advice I can give to anyone in anything you do. Learning a new language, playing a sport, reading, a lot of, I don't know, random things I can think of. Just start early because it's always easier to do when you're young. Oh, for sure. I'm going to transition here since this is the D3 to Pro podcast. Hey, okay. Since you went to a D3 school and you were around a lot of D3 athletes. Roll stacks. Go stacks. I'm so curious, like, just the contrast between like what you saw when we were at school, granted, very different level than what you're around now. Yeah. But is it is it more of an athleticism limitation from D3 or is it mindset? Like what separates the guys that you're working with versus maybe a D3 athlete? Man, my answer might be different than even the athlete's answers. But I guess from my perspective, it'd be a combination of luck and just inherent talent. I feel like a lot of times, especially now, you look at basketball specifically, people get put in pipelines, okay? You are identified as a top-level prospect by the time you're 13, 14, and you are groomed as such at a young age to be very, very good. Now, whether or not we should be doing that in youth sports so early on is debatable. I would argue no, but that's a conversation for a different time. Yeah. It is, some guys are just built different. I was six feet, 230, my freshman year of high school. And that was probably bigger than a lot of the linemen I work on now. <laughs> they continued, they just kept going like this. And I just wasn't big enough, didn't mature physically enough, like whatever. And then sometimes it's just the desire and mentality of like, no, I'm going to be a professional basketball player. I don't care how I am now. I'm going to make it happen. The kid that I'm training right now, right now, Tyrese Maxey is a great example of that. He was like, just kind of made a decision early on. He told me the other day, he was looking at his mom and dad. He said, you know, I'm going to be a point guard at Kentucky and I'm going to go play in the NBA. And he had mm -hmm. he said that at a time where he had no idea. Like, sure, the kid is good. He was a top recruit coming out of high school on top of just being an amazing athlete just because he is. Like, he works incredibly hard. But like, Tyrese will have skills that a lot of players will not have just because he's Tyrese Maxey and other people are not Tyrese Maxey. But like, He's a he's an example of like the perfect thing where he had the build, the body, everything, and had the mentality of like, no, this is what I want to do, and that's what he did. He went to Kentucky. He started his freshman year. He was done after one year, and now he's probably going to be a top fifteen pick in the NBA. Some guys speak it into existence and happen to have some good genes and build to go about it. Same way, other guys have no build. I think Anthony Davis I saw the other day was like unranked his junior year of high school and then leaving his senior year, he was like a top prospect. Some guys mature super late. Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great example, like an absolute freak of a man, but like born into poverty in Greece and then now is like NBA MVP. It's a it's it's a combination of two. It's a nature versus nurture yeah. argument, I guess. And they're both important. Yeah, and I guess what I'm going to take away from that again is just the, the purpose behind everything. Like, yeah, I can say nothing is set in stone. Right. 
you can create your own path. It might take a lot longer, but and it might not even work out, but you'll get a lot farther than you think you can as long as you have that purpose behind what you're doing. Oh, 100%. I mean, and I guess to talk to specifically D3 athletes, like going D3 is certainly not a sentence to be like, oh, let's say you're a Division three basketball player. Just because you play D3 doesn't mean you can't play in the NBA. I know a lot of D3 athletes probably thinking like, oh, I may play D3, but I, um, you know, I'll go play overseas. Like they inherently cap themselves on what their ability is just because they are at a certain point in their life. Like that, mm-hmm. that makes no sense ever. That'd be like me looking at LA Fitness and be like, oh, I'm training at LA Fitness. You know, maybe one day I can get to a Gold's Gym. Like, no, that's just where you are. And you're there probably when you're 18, 19 years old. Like you can have the, you can make a decision and be like, all right, I am at this point in my life. And I want to get to a certain level, well, then I have to put a certain amount of time in. And even then, you may not get lucky enough because no one's going to come and look at you. But most of the time, if you put the work in, you get it recorded. In other words, you get it on tape or you ball out in D3 and you are the dude in D3. There should be no reason that you don't give yourself an opportunity to succeed. I was talking to a guy named Kevin Punter. Kevin Punter is our age guy. I think he just turned 27. Kevin is a guy from the Bronx who, good basketball player, started off at a JC and went to junior college and then played two years at Tennessee. Was a standout at Tennessee and then was trying to make it work in the NBA, ended up going over to overseas now. And now is probably one of the best overseas basketball players. It was like when you talk about guys that are like top level overseas in art in the NBA, Kevin Punter's name is the top of the list. And I was talking to him and I was like, yo, like, how did this happen? He's like, I just made a decision that if I wasn't the dude coming in, my first or second year overseas, I had to just put everyone on this. I had to show that, listen, that's, you may not think I'm this, but I'm this. Be- I, I can be even better than what you think I can. And you just got to play like it. And so it comes to crazy focus and just de- determination to get to some way or not. I agree completely. But as someone who has been out there and struggled with confidence and I don't even want to say putting limitations on myself, but essentially that, that that's what it comes down to. And it's, it's hard to break through that barrier. Like who am I to, to say that I could be there? It's hard to break through. It's basically what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not, but I could also argue that like perhaps your level of, well, it's not fair to put this on you, but I could overarching say like the general sense of urgency that division three athletes have to go pro perhaps is less than division one athletes because they're division three and they usually are division three because they have something else going for them. Like the kids at Claremont McKenna, the top 10 level art school in the nation. Okay. You don't go play like pro basketball. So I guess you go to Deloitte, <laughs> you go to PWC, like, woo-hoo. like those are the kids I feel like at least that we were dealing with were in school. Like those are their alternatives. But for a lot of uh, for a lot of high level athletes at Division One, like they were the dogs in their own hometown, and they come to like take Tyrese Maxey for example. Like he goes to Kentucky, he's around the best basketball players in the nation, and now you have to continue to be the best basketball player in the nation when all the other best basketball players in the nation are around you. So his sense of urgency to continue to succeed or excel at a high level was imperative. Because like. Not saying that Tyrese couldn't have gone and done whatever he wants to do in life. I think he can. The kid's smart. He's incredibly well-spoken. I know he has other interests outside of basketball. But this is what he's really, really good at. 
He's better than anyone else in this 99.999%. So you gotta, you gotta kind of show up if you're going to be put on that stage. Yeah, I completely agree. And like last year when I, when I did quit playing, it was entirely out of this lack of desire to compete. Yep. And I remember calling my college coach, Paul Settles, who's been on the podcast. Let's go, Paul. And I, I remember him saying to me, like, the guys that succeed, they're they're just hungry for it. Like this is this is all exactly like this is all they have going for them. It's either make it's make or break. And that sense of urgency, I like I've dealt with like being almost too comfortable. Like, yeah, I, I if tennis doesn't work out, like go do something else. Like it's not a big deal. And I've struggled with that myself. And that's really the difference between success and failure, I, I would I would say. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, I mean in some ways, it's a blessing to have that mentality of like, okay, if this doesn't work out, I can go do this. And don't get it twisted. Like, I've had that thought n- numerous times. Like, shoot, I'm not making the money I need to make training. I got to figure out how to pay rent. So maybe I just say, forget it and I'll go work at some consulting firm. I can do that because I have a degree from Colonel McKenna in USC. But there are a lot of other trainers in this game that don't have that. And there's times where I've looked at it and been like, listen, if this is what you want to do, then do it. If this is not what you want to do, then quit complaining and do something else. Because mm-hmm. the guy next to me that is not training a Cam Newton, that's not training a Todd Gurley, is like, man, I would give anything to be in your shoes. Okay. So either continue to do your job, excel at a rate, and continue to go through the process day in and day out, or don't do it. And for me, this was big. When I made it a the realization was like, listen, I can do anything I want, but I'm choosing to do this. Maybe I should choose to do it even better than I'm doing it now or give more than I'm giving now mm-hmm. because having the ability to back out of something is good. But like, I don't care what you do in life. You're not going to succeed unless you put something into it. Yeah. I mean, the common phrase is you, you get out of it what you put in. <laughs> and that's, that's the case. And heck, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that my road was. Grind, 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 grind. Yeah, a lot of ways it was grind, but the way I grinded was different than a lot of people. Like, I was at school and then I worked under uh, a doc for two or three years while I was in grad school. There are guys out there that are training for five to six years, like living paycheck to paycheck, that will never get an opportunity to do what I'm doing simply because of happenstance. And so, again, to go back to my other point, if I want to do this, cool. If I don't want to do it, then don't do it. Because you're only wasting your time and someone else's time if this isn't what you're invested in. Truer words have never been spoken. Do you have a gratitude journal? Do I have a gratitude journal? Uh, no, you're the second or third person that told me I should have one. Oh, I'm not telling you you should have one. I'm saying I need one. <laughs> I'm asking if you, if you have one. No. What I usually happens is like I have good highs. I keep going, keep going, keep going. And then something happens and I just plummet. Yeah. And it, it's those moments of just pure, like, what the heck is going on that I'm pounding my head into the couch or I come up till 12 o'clock reading about different research methods or training methods, whatever. And I'm so pissed off at the fact that I'm not sleeping where I just sit down and be like, listen, if you don't do it, don't do it. But quit complaining and like, be grateful that you have this opportunity. Be grateful that you're up working and you feel overwhelmed because you're never going to change unless you feel like you're being pushed to. And it's those times where it's like, okay, this still sucks, but I can see the larger picture. I, I know why I'm doing this. Yeah. So, oh, and that's, 
sorry, I completely, I'm going to leave this conversation now. I don't even know why I started thinking about this, but I want to toast every D3 athlete out there and every human being out there personally is this idea of like build in a margin to your day. And when I say build in a margin, I mean, if you have 12 productive hours in your day, maybe schedule yourself for 10 and a half hours of work or 11 hours of work. We have this idea that to grind, 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 grind. Well, grind, 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 grind creates someone that's tired, can't think straight, sometimes resentful of the work they have to do and really can ultimately lose focus on the purpose that they even started grinding to begin with in the first place. So this idea about like building in margin. So like if you can work 12 hours a day, work, maybe you have perhaps 10 and a half hours a day, 11 hours a day, because that hour and a half, the hour margin you give to not schedule yourself of doing something in the moment allows you to build perspective and plan for what you want to do in the future. And I think by a lot of times when we put so much effort into something and the result isn't immediate, we can lose focus on why we're doing it in the first place. And by specifically setting aside time to take yourself out of the day in and day out grind, step back and say, okay, I just did this for 10 and a half hours, 11, 11 hours a day. This next hour I'm going to use to plan. How do I stop working 11 hours a day and perhaps work nine? How do I work smarter? How do I get more efficient? How do I build flexibility in my own day? How do I grow? How do I adapt? How do I do better than what I'm doing right now? Because unless you can build a team around you, that's going to be willing to work with you 12 hours a day. You have to learn how to work smarter than harder. Working hard will get you to a certain place. Continuing to work hard, I would argue, beyond a reasonable period of time. I'm not going to put a time frame on there because it's different for every person. But you will know, I would argue, it's a little bit individual, I guess, but you will know a point when if you continue to do what you do right now, you will never get beyond that. So don't work just to work. Work with a purpose and intention. And sometimes working can be doing not what you're doing in the moment, not what you need to do, but rather planning for the future. And when you can step outside of that, you can plan. That's when you can grow and adapt and build beyond just where you are now. But even just for an example, my own day, like if I train seven to seven, I will be a great trainer from seven to seven. And I'll be a lousy human being from seven to seven. Like I will sleep, I will eat, I will do nothing outside that take care, takes care of me. But if I train from seven to four and I find a client that wants to work out with me from four to five and I work out for an hour and then I stay after work and get treatment on my bone body from five to six and I leave work at six and go home and work from home six to seven thirty planning and figuring out what I want to do with next week or planning and like writing a program out for a full month for a guy and I knock off these little things that are going to help A, take stress off me in the day to begin with, but also B, learn how to adapt beyond where I'm at. In my eyes, that's way more beneficial than going and training another client to make an extra buck. So be smart with your time and never lose sight of like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm getting hammered or I'm putting in so much time to train, 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 train. Maybe the thing to do is to not train and figure out how to take care of yourself or just how to refocus your time in a different way that allow you to grow and adapt. Yeah. I think that's awesome advice. I I think I said to my sister today, I was like, I feel like I've been beating my head against the wall and expecting to get somewhere, just grinding away instead of actually like taking a pause and 
and like actually thinking, how can I make this more effective? Yeah, there's that. And also just like, how do I make it more effective and how do I connect with people? Like when you told me about this and like an opportunity to get to do it, like I don't care. And some people, people may think I'm like the least interesting person in the world. And if they think that, great. I don't care. Like, I think you're interesting. Oh, thank you, Scott. I'm doing this to like, to help you, to help me, to help talk about things that are important, to share some sort of ideas or tips that I think are useful, but also to connect with people. Because like, if you're not going to connect and work with your friends or promote what they're doing, like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> and I'm, that is, I'm laughing about this because I have this conversation all the time with trainers specifically, like, of how there's so much competition between me and maybe another trainer or, or another trainer that's in Miami, sees my work and doesn't like it or, and we just start to rip on each other. And I'm not saying that's happened. It's definitely happened, but like, I'm not calling anyone out or thinking about anything like that. I'm literally just talking about like, at the end of the day, what are we? We're two individuals that try to do this job so that we can make a living. Maybe you have other ideas about what you want to do with the job than I want to do about it. I want to impact people to the highest level possible. They happen to be athletes. So I want to help athletes the most that I can. But you didn't hear me say once, I want to tear you down. You didn't hear me once say, I want to discredit whatever work you do. If we do the same thing, I should build that person up. And it's a shift I hope a lot of people make in this industry. I talk about this industry. I'm talking about high performance training and rehab. Like We get better as we stop fighting. We get better as we start to look at the person that perhaps is at the same level as me, works with the same clients, and I know he's not doing stuff well. Like, it does me no benefit to just sit here and rip on the dude. It does me the benefit to like reach out and be like, Hey man, like I love the work you do. I happen to offer a certification in this type of training methodology. I would love for you to come over here and be a guest so that you could take it. And like this idea of I don't got to show anyone up. I don't got to make them feel bad about me being better than them. I can continue to help us both grow by showing them what I think perhaps is a better way to train. But them coming here and coming right back at me, be like, no, man, I don't think that's good because I do it this way. We don't have to agree, but at least as long as we have that conversation, that's growth. And let's say that I think I'm a better trainer than 99 people out there. And the 100 people that are at my certification, one person teaches me something that I can do better. That's a win. That's a win in my book. Because there's going to come a point where like, when you're the expert doer, you've got to be the expert teacher. You got to be. Otherwise, you're wasting your time you're wasting other trainers time because at least in my eyes if if you're in a field and you really want to give your all to it you want to that requires you to make those around you better and i think what a lot of times people get scared about is oh if i make this person next to me better they're gonna one-up me or gonna they're gonna do whatever and it's like okay good do it don't steal my people don't steal my thoughts don't steal whatever build your own thoughts do whatever but like I'm working with you to help grow and develop and I'm doing that too. So like, why shouldn't I see you eat? Like there's enough money, there's enough athletes for us to both be successful. So like, let's get better together. So I think that's cool too. Like I try to instill that in the clinic in kind of weird roundabout way. If I'm working with like a high schooler and like a pro at the same time and the pros off there on his phone doing something, I'll get on that pro's case and be like, yo man, like give this guy some juice. Like let it like hype him up a little bit, get him lifting big. Show that you care that this guy is here working out with you. Because when you motivate him, he wants to be like you. And then when he gets to be like you, hopefully he'll remember that someone that was better than him at one point helped him along the way. 
and that you can continue to do better for others around you. In turn, as you build yourself up, everyone else can be built built with you. Mm-hmm. I think that's more powerful than just being the solo dog out there, the best at what you do, and everyone else is below you. I don't care who you are. No one wants that type of burden. Yeah, I agree. Hopefully, as a society, that's what we've done. Like We're always trying to grow, right? We're always trying to help each other, but... Obviously, that's not always the case. And just taking that into like a a competition context for like what I've seen tennis wise is sometimes I'm afraid of playing against good people just because it'll make me feel bad rather than taking it as an opportunity to learn, which I feel like is kind of what you were saying, right? Yeah. And you said it probably way more clear than I did. But yeah, don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to be told that you're wrong. Don't be afraid to like drop everything and be willing to learn, even if that means getting embarrassed a little bit. And um, I mean, now I can look at it as a coach now and be like, all right, I know I need to hold people accountable, but I also need to understand how to elicit change and response out of people. And for some people that may be getting on that, for other people that may be pointing out the reason why they did answer something wrong in a more private setting. It's understanding human beings and how to create change in that human is all that it comes down to. Well, Al, I'm glad I didn't prepare for this because it went a completely different direction than I thought it would. So that's a good thing. Well, I hope I hope your listeners like to it too. Is there anything else that I mean, I realize we've just kind of been going? I usually wrap up with three questions, but we'll get to those. Is there anything else you'd like to, to say? If anyone is interested in strength conditioning rehab and wants to intern, they should contact Skyler because then he can contact me. Wait, I want to. In- I want to intern. Sky, you can intern too. Okay, cool. <laughs> but no, I mean we're always looking for people. Education is always something that uh, I try to push, and um, I think we've got a lot of good opportunities at Sports LA. And if you listen to this and you find it perhaps meaningful, or you hear stuff that falls in accord to whatever you think, don't be afraid to reach out and. Uh, see if we can work something out because I want to help people that are a listening to things that my friends are making. So you sky and um, just helping to grow this general network of folks that are connected through Claremont McKenna or connected through sport or just want to want to do well and want to, whether that's you're an athlete and you want to get treatment and rehab, or if you're a coach and you want to learn how to become a better coach, happy to help awesome okay so al my last three questions this one's gonna be fun for me to hear what is a unhealthy food you would turn into a superfood gluten (laughs) man well gluten isn't inherently unhealthy i guess speaking from a personal standpoint i have celiac disease so i would love that if i would love gluten to be a superfood and to help my body instead of hurting my body what do you miss the most oh chicken parmesan man yeah i could I could kill some chicken parmesan, but if I ate chicken parmesan like that, it would probably revolt, come right back at me. Yeah, I would not be a good person to be around for a day or two, but uh, definitely gluten is the answer to that question. It's a good answer. <laughs> you touched on this already, but any advice you'd offer to D3 athletes trying to make it to the pros? Do everything you can to take care of your body. Do everything you can to put yourself out there. As much as I hate it, social media is a platform that is sort of revolutionizing the way that a lot of people, but specifically athletes have a chance to sort of show out for 
public eye. And um, if you're not taking advantage of those platforms, Instagram, TikTok, maybe. I don't even use TikTok, so I'm not the best person to speak on that. I think we're too old for that. Yeah, man. I, I feel like that some days all the time. I asked a kid the other day, I was like, man, how many times are you more accustomed to giving out your Snapchat or your phone number? People, he goes, oh, Snapchat, 100%. I was like, yeah, it's, it's just different. I didn't know Snapchat was still a thing. Oh, yeah. See, it, it is. And those are just things. But no, definitely, I, I think specifically Instagram. And this is something that I'm trying to do more because people yell at me and they're like, yo, you get to work with these people. You train these people. Why the heck aren't you on Instagram? And my response is, it's just not like a normal thing that I do in my day in and day out. And uh, they're like, well, it has to be because the people you're working with holds the public eye, if you will, kind of care about what they're doing. And you obviously have done enough to put yourself in a position where you can get to work with these people. So share with them what you're doing to help these athletes. So yeah, likewise, if you want people to pay attention to what you're doing, share with them what you're doing. The idea of having a resume, especially in my field right now, has kind of disappeared. It's like, show me what you can do on Instagram. Show me what you've done on Instagram and then show me your resume, which is weird, but you got to play ball if you want to, if you want to get your foot in the door. Oh yeah. So yeah, take advantage of all the ways that you can show yourself, uh, even if it's not comfortable for you. Speaking of which, where can people find you on social media? Hey, uh, my, they can find me only on Instagram. Because I'm not nearly concise enough to be on Twitter, and I don't understand TikTok. Um, but my Instagram handle is a reeser uh, underscore srla srla obviously for sports we have LA. I try to post some videos there, mainly of videos and pictures, mainly just people I'm working with. Um, but I'm hoping to get more of a sort of like educational material rolling out here uh, in the future. But you can also call and text me. My number is three one zero eight one seven nine two nine nine. I will probably answer a text far sooner than I answer a DM. So two two weeks later. Yeah, exactly. You can ask Sky. It takes me a little bit to answer a text. Um, but if you make the subject line, hey, Al, pay attention to me now, I will be. I'm just kidding. But if you make the tagline, I need your help, or please do not ignore me, I will usually pay attention. So, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, slap me across the face and say, pay attention to me because I guess good or bad, that's what I usually respond to because that's what people have responded to me about. There's no good way of kind of being shy or bashful around the, around it. If you want someone to help you, if you want to get some, somewhere, be annoying as heck until they listen mm-hmm. to you. And once you get there, then perform. So yes, Instagram. All right, Instagram. And my final question for you, how do you define success? Hey, I probably need like an hour. You got 30 seconds. How do I define success? Um, success is variable. Success is something that allows you to feel that you're being useful in whatever your life path is trying to like what you want to do with life. I mean, success to me in college was getting good grades. Success to me now is seeing a kid get all wide-eyed after he jumped on a 60-inch box that he didn't think he could do. Success for me 10 years down the road may be, be financial. It may be still career-oriented. It may be family-related. I have no idea. Um, but success is taking the time to step away from your day in and day out, figure out how you're changing as a person, how your needs are changing, and then being flexible enough to 
see that, adapt to it, and continue to, I guess, I don't want to say stay happy, but like figure out what makes you happy and continue to do that. Keep living life for what you want to do and how you can give back to people. And if that changes, cool. That changes. That changed for me at 18. Like I thought the best way I could give back to people that had movement disorders would be, or movement issues would be to go and litigate on their behalf. And 10 years now down the road, I'm in no way close to a, uh, an attorney, but I get a chance to work with some of the top, uh, professional athletes, some of the top elite amateur athletes and just some of the top human beings in the world just for being humans and get to learn from them, get to coach them and get to, uh, just really grow. Success is always having growth, never really being stagnant. That doesn't mean consistently changing or going to do something else that's not purposeful or driven, but it's just allowing to look back and be like, you know, I got better at this today. Awesome, man. That's success. That is success. All right, man. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for coming on. Oh, of course, Sky. Anytime. And for everyone that doesn't know, Sky is a damn good tennis player. He could be doing whatever he wants, but I was especially happy to help him with this because this whole message about trying to reach the three athletes that are trying to go pro and inspire and everything. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like that. I think I lost my, uh, sort of athlete drive, at least real athlete drive much early on in life. And, uh, just stepping away at perhaps mid twenties and then sort of shifting this role where you're doing sky. I think that's really, really cool. So. I'm proud of you for doing that. Happy to help. And uh, like, I wish you nothing but success. So it's cool to see. I appreciate it. And thank you for defining success for me. Oh, shit. Whatever success you're in, <laughs> I hope you have it. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed getting to know Al and his insights into the world of training. Don't forget to follow Al and Sports Rehab LA on Instagram or reach out to them for training or an internship opportunity. You can find us on social media as well at D3DePro, and if you like the podcast, please subscribe. I'll see you next time on D3DePro.